Apostolic Church. I'm glad that you're here today. So let's talk today about this, the end of this series called Rules of Engagement. Let's talk about how to stay married. <laughs> it's really ironic, isn't it, that a guy that's been married coming up on 15 years would, would talk about how to stay married. That seems a little new, wouldn't you agree? I mean, 15, 15 years, that's pretty good. But many of you in the room, you've been married 20, 30, 40, maybe 50, maybe, maybe even a couple in the room, maybe 60 years. I mean, many of you have been there and done that. And so I'm not preaching today from great experience. I'm preaching from an authority outside of me, and I'm thankful that there is one, and that's called Scripture. I'm going to show you in Scripture a pastor Scripture whose primary emphasis is not the marriage relationship. But I, will, I would suggest to you today, it may be the best passage of Scripture in the entire Bible as it relates to what we're going to talk about today. I'll show you that in just a moment. But the truth is, it's difficult for a marriage to last till death. It is hard. And the reason why marriage is difficult, as we've said many times before, is because you have two imperfect people who have different worldviews and philosophies sometimes, who have different values, different upbringings, trying to lean into one another and actually make a relationship work. That's hard to do. Relationships don't always work. And so what do you do? How does a relationship endure those moments when it's difficult? Those moments when it's not easy? Let's talk about it. Paul in Ephesians, I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter 2 writes to the church. Now the specific application to Philippians chapter 2 deals with the local church and how it relates to each other. But the broader application is perfect for marriage. Hear me. In the marriage relationship, you don't get to do away with principles about Christian relationships. Christian relationships apply to the marriage relationship. And I would say primarily to the marriage relationship. (laughs) Some people believe, you know, I have to be a Christian to everyone at church and everyone in the community. But me and my wife, me and my husband, we do things different. (laughs) Wrong. That's the primary picture of the expression of Christianity in the home. And that's why Paul in Ephesians chapter uh, 5 can say that, that, that wives out of reverence for the Lord should respect or submit to their husbands. He's leveraging that. And that's why Paul can say that husbands should love their wife as Christ loved the church. He's speaking about this, this picture here. All right, so with that in mind, here's what I want to do for the next couple of minutes. I want to show you how Paul leverages a reality about the Christian to lead us to a certain type of thinking, a being that in turn leads us to a certain type of doing. So there's motivation, which Paul's going to give us, or inspiration. Then there's the disposition, that, 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 that sense of being that inevitably will lead us to the doing side of relationship. So let's walk through the passage of Scripture. This is Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse number 1, we see the motivation. This is what Paul says. If, any, or if, you, have, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So Paul is going to give us an if-then statement. If these things are true, then our response should be this. So, so what, is the, what is the if statement? Here it is. If you have ever been encouraged from being united with Christ. What's Paul saying? If there's ever been a benefit 
to being a Christ follower in that you were encouraged or prompted to engage in certain behaviors or to feel a certain way or to think a certain way. In other words, if Christ has enriched your life by you being encouraged, if, he says, if there's been any comfort from his love, you ever gone through a difficult time? And and something within you is stabilizing is comforting, offers peace in spite of the circumstances? Has that ever happened to you before? Has there ever been something on the inside that doesn't match the outside craziness that's going on in your life? Has that ever happened to you? If you've ever had fellowship with the Spirit, have you ever had a sense where God just begins to move your heart to maybe to say something or to stir in you or to prompt you to do something that's ever happened? Any tenderness or compassion? Have you ever blown it and God in his mercy didn't offer you wrath but forgiveness, grace and mercy rather than condemnation? Has that ever happened to you? Right Now, now stop. If you can't identify with what I just said, it might be that you've never began a relationship with Jesus. Because this is exactly what Christianity looks like. It is how God through Christ interacts and engages with us. And I would say to you today that this is a very good picture of what my relationship with Jesus has done for me in my life. It is a great picture of how the Spirit of God, which I received because of my relationship with Jesus, interacts with me, intercedes for me, um, encourages and comforts me. All right. So Paul says, if this is true, now stop for a moment. Let me tell you why this verse is so important to staying married. Because there will be many, many days you don't feel like investing the way that you should in your relationship. There will be many times along the way, and it's been true for the last 15 years from time to time, that, that I didn't feel like what Scripture called me to do, or called me to think about, or called me to behave like. This must be the motivation If the marriage should last till death. Now, think about the implications of this. If you are unmarried here today, teenagers, young adults, hear me. If you are unmarried, what Paul is doing here is leveraging a reality uh, in Christ that should be the motivation to inspire the marriage to health. But if you marry someone that is not a Christ follower, this whole argument breaks down. Because the if statement doesn't motivate because it's not there. If you are not married and you want to be married someday, please hear me. It is so critically important that you marry someone that loves Jesus first, that inspires you to love him more, not the other way around. I get the opportunity to to lead some 20-somethings. I get the chance to interact with even some teenagers from time to time. And it's really interesting as they talk about dating relationships. One of the things that they say is, hey, I found this new relationship. I met this guy or met this girl. And I'm really excited about how, you know, how it's going right now. They're a, you're a good person. And you know, we're connected. And it's amazing how we met. It must have been from God. And so I have these conversations. And then I'll ask the question, well, I mean, are, are they following Christ? Do they love Jesus? That's right. Your pastor actually asked that question to people who are interested in getting my opinion on if they should be in their relationship. I asked them, are they following Christ? It's hilarious to hear what what the response is. Well, see, here's the thing. They weren't really involved in church much before. They said they kind of went to church a while back. But when we started talking and, and you know, as we started getting closer and closer, they said, 
that they're really interested now in maybe coming back to church. Uh, here's what I would say. Find someone that, that inspires you to keep up with the pursuit of Christ. Rather than you believe in the idea that says, well, when we're together, I'll move them to love Jesus, even though they don't right now at all. Hear me. More often than not, if you are dating someone that doesn't first love Christ, they will draw you away from Christ. It's very unlikely that you're going to draw them into Jesus. And I know you're connected and you love them. And you're convinced that through your prayers, you, you are going to be the gospel. God brought you together so that you could be Jesus to them. Let them follow Christ first. Then you can consider marrying them. Because this verse doesn't apply if that's not true. If these things are the case, then... This is the motivation. This is what drives the person to do any certain thing. And this has to be the motivation because if it's all about feelings and emotions, you're not going to do it. But if your driver is because of what Christ has done for me, then we see the disposition. This is how I'm disposed. Notice the words here, being and having. They're not doing yet. It's being and having. This is what it says. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Now, again, the, 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 the specific application here is to the church. This is the way the church ought to operate in unity. But this is powerful for the marriage. Here's why. Because do you remember a long, long time ago in Scripture, you know, at the very, very beginning, where, where, where God walks Eve down the aisle to Adam, that first marriage relationship, and he says, you're going to leave mommy and daddy, you're going to cleave to one another, and the two will become one flesh. When I talk about that scenario in the marriage relationship, I always say God had in mind for you two people to go on a journey together that lasts till death. Arm in arm, hand in hand on this journey. Here's what I always say to them. You want to be the couple that makes everyone else sick. You want to be the couple that when they look at your life and they look at your marriage relationship, they don't necessarily have to see perfection, but they see two people who are walking the same journey together and they go, oh my gosh, would you look at how they talk to one another and act around each other. It's gross. Like, that's a win, my friend. If that can be you, that's a win because everyone else wants that. And the reason they want that is that's because God designed it to be that way. having the same love, having the same purpose and spirit, being like-minded. Hear me, it doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. (laughs) My wife and I are polar opposite people. And I mean polar opposite people. She is the other letters on the personality profile than I am. The exact opposite. She loves things different than I love in terms of hobbies. She views um, many, many things in terms of how we, you know, how our relationship is supposed to work and interact differently than I do. We are different. And two different people trying to have the same Love, being like-minded in spirit and in purpose is challenging. We've struggled with this. Uh, I love my wife deeply. 
But we've struggled greatly with this. It wasn't until I read the book Personality Plus and that I understood how she was wired with a personality that I began to appreciate her. I actually resented her for her viewpoints. For a long time in our marriage relationship, I would say for about five years, I resented the way God had made her. I thought she was wrong. (laughs) Turns out she was just different. Now, I love that about her. What she brings to the relationship and the value she brings from her perspective and her personality and the way she, the way she views things is so enriching to my relation or our relationship because I need all that she brings. And she needs all that I bring. But it's difficult. So how do you achieve this? Practically speaking, how do you achieve this picture? Let me tell you a couple things that I think are critically important as a pastor. I think, I think it's critically important that we understand that this is not achieved by accident. You don't wander into like-mindedness. You don't drift into unity. You do it because you're intentional. So here's a couple of things to think about. Number one, I would encourage you, because of all the complications I just described, I would encourage you to pray for one another. The hardest person on earth for me to pray for is Jennifer. <clears throat> I get paid to pray for people. It's my job to pray. Calling her name out before the Father is one of the hardest things to do. I don't know why, except to say that there's a very real enemy that has set his face against us and who would love nothing more than for us to be uh, divided and divorced. And so every time the opportunity to pray presents itself, we are so tired that we just tend to fall asleep or we are so busy that, that there's another conversation to have or another task to do or something else to consider. And it's almost impossible to do it. But I would say to you, the times that I call her name out before the Father, wait, wait, not for corrective purposes. <laughs> God, Jennifer is really messed up. Would you please fix her? Not that, not that prayer, but the prayer that says, I'm calling her out to you. I'm calling her case out before you. I want to I uh, appeal to you on her behalf. Those moments in riches, they bring us together. Wives, hear me. When's the last time you prayed out loud and called your husband's name out loud before the Father? It's a moment to, to draw you together to be like-minded. I would encourage you also to come to church together. Hear me, our staff, our, our, our people, the people on stage, the people in the booth, the people who work out in ministry, I hope you're listening. It's wonderful that you're serving, but if you're never sitting side by side in service together, worshiping together, praying together, holding each other's hands, whatever it looks like, you need that desperately in your relationship. You need to be connected to that level. I would also encourage you to consider, like-minded, I would also encourage you to consider what ministry outside the church we might be engaged in. It's possible God brought both of you together so that you could serve in the kingdom even outside the walls of the church on Sunday morning or Wednesday. What does it look like for us to do life together? Now, just real quick, and I'm moving on. I'm not suggesting that when when Paul has this picture of like-mindedness, specifically for the marriage, I'm not suggesting that you have to fake like you enjoy everything else your spouse likes. Okay, That's not what I'm saying. For instance... You know, I love to play golf. Jennifer, is, she doesn't love it. She doesn't like it. And, and, and quite honestly, she tried it a couple times. It's just not her thing, right? Not going to golf. And that's perfectly fine. Hear me. I don't want Jennifer necessarily to go golfing with me. I don't need her to love golf. <laughs> I need her to let me go sometimes to play golf. But I don't need her to love golf. It's not the point. And, and by the way, I don't, I don't 
There's some things she does that I don't love, and I, it's okay. That's not the point. The point Paul's making is, is there's two lives who've intersected, they intertwine, and they're going on a journey together. Let me ask you a question. Is that you? Is that what your marriage looks like? This is the disposition. Out of the disposition, out of being like-minded, and by the way, read together, do devotions together. Jennifer and I went through Night Lights 15 years ago by James Dobson. Now we're doing Night Lives for parents because we need help. That's why we're doing this one. We're going to go back through Night Lights uh, for married couples again on our 15th anniversary. I don't know if you knew that. Surprise! Get some coaching, some counseling. If you need help, get help. Hear me. Don't let your pride be the reason your marriage isn't restored. He goes on to say in the text, this is the disposition. He goes on to say then the doing, right? The next couple of verses have to do with doing. And here's what he says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. And in verse number four, he says this. Each of you should look not to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. I wish I had time today to give you the 15 or 20 points of a practical application that I had in mind this week, but I don't. But let me just give you a couple. Paul says, here's what doing looks like in a marriage that lasts till death. Here's what it looks like. I'm never selfish or prideful. I value, I consider my spouse more highly than I consider myself. And I don't just care about my interests, but I'm focused on her needs, his needs. I want to make sure they feel fulfilled, that they feel valuable, that they feel loved. One quick note before I give you a couple of practical illustrations. There's a difference between self-care, that's not selfishness, and self-absorbedness, which is selfishness. Self-care is critical to every relationship. Hear me. You look at this passage of scripture and it's possible that some wife or some husband would look at this and say, oh my gosh, I got to spend every waking moment of my life just giving myself away, exhausting myself for the good of everyone else. That's a no. If you are not personally healthy, you cannot offer to the marriage what you need to offer to the marriage. You must take care of yourself You must be healthy. That's why personal time with Jesus is so important. That's why a hobby is so important. That's why time with your girlfriends or your boyfriends who will encourage you in your relationship with Christ are so important. All those things are critical. A workout or something like that. You must be healthy first before you can take care of someone else's interests. Self-care is not selfishness. Self-absorbedness is selfishness. And Paul warns against that. You know, it's it's very interesting. My wife has some quirks. And I'm not going to tell you what those are because that would be counterproductive today to my marriage relationship. But she has some quirks. And uh, they, they drive me, me crazy. Um, and I look at those things that she does and I'm like, oh my gosh, please stop. And uh, yeah, I know, I know. And you may be surprised to know this, but I have quirks. <clears throat> When I eat a bowl of cereal, it is the most painful experience to watch, maybe on the planet. Bowl of cereal, metal bowl, metal spoon, clanking it around, 
So I've got to soak all the, all the flakes, frosted flakes, down into the milk. Then I eat it. Milk drips down, right, like right there. And I'll scoop it up, you know, and I'll crunch it loud. I cannot eat cereal in the same room with Jennifer. She can't stand it hardly. It's very easy for me to look at all of her imperfections and call them out and be critical of them and miss all of my own imperfections. It's almost like when Jesus was talking, you know, he was speaking to a married couple. That before you get all worked up about the sawdust in your spouse's eye, would you first consider the plank in your own eye? Because it's massive. Selfish people always project condemnation. Those marriages that last till death offer grace in imperfection. <laughs> Money, that's a good one, isn't it? Do you know they came out with a new ping driver? Sweet. They say that you can hit the ball about 30 yards longer with that new ping driver. And it's straighter too. There's some adjustments on it you can make. It's only $400 for that one club. But it's on sale right now for $375. Did you know there's a new set of ping irons? Did you know there's a new ping putter? Large grip on the handle. Because when you have a larger grip, not a smaller grip, you can hit the ball much straighter to the hole, so you must have the large grip putter. And I don't have that new ping driver or those new ping irons or that new ping putter. But I want it. (laughs) In every marriage, there's that thing or those things that draw you in. Is it okay to have a ping driver? Absolutely. Is it okay to have a ping driver to put your family in financial jeopardy? Nah. Spring clothes just came out, didn't they? No, they've been out for a while, Matt, I know. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, no, they've been out. They're looking good too. Whole new lineup. It's okay to have some new clothes. You bet. Go get some new clothes. It's okay to have $5,000 in credit card debt because of those new clothes. No. Bad idea. Right? I ran across an interesting article online. It was Bible.org. I just want to read it to you because it lists out a couple of more. I I wish I had to unpack all these. I don't. Let me just read to you a couple of things that they mentioned. It may relate to your family. In terms of selfishness and vain conceit, if you want to wreck your marriage relationship, this is the best way to do it. Ready? Always insist on having things your way. If you don't get your way, throw a tantrum or freeze your spouse out. Get your kids involved in this game by saying things like, would you please ask your father to pass the salt? Don't be afraid to withhold sex if your spouse isn't letting you have things your own way. There's a lot of power in that, so don't waste it. If there's only enough money in your budget for what one of you wants, make sure you get what you want, especially if you're the wage earner. Or if you make more than the other. Money is power and don't be afraid to use it against your spouse. Make demands instead of requests. 
Wives, let your husbands know that he will do things your way or you'll make his life miserable. Husbands, when you want your wife to do something, just tell her to do it. Please and thank you for the kids. This is your spouse you're talking about. They don't need it. Save all your courtesy for strangers. Don't waste it on the person you said you'd spend the rest of your life with. Isn't that good? Because that's how we treat one another. In selfishness and vain conceit. But instead, instead of that being the picture, marriages that last till death, honor the fact that I want to value you and show you how much I love you more than even myself. I'm going to love myself so that I can love you. I'm going to love Jesus so that I can love you. All those things are true. This is why Paul goes on to say, in conclusion, Paul says, hear me, in humility consider others better than yourself. And look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of your spouse. If, if every marriage re- uh, relationship in the room today, if every single marriage relationship in the room would live out this verse, I could quit my job. I would be out of a job if this was true in the church and in marriage relationships. What's that look like, quickly? <laughs> a couple of great books written about this. Five Love Languages. If you never read it, read it. Love and Respect. If you never read it, read it. <laughs> but this is, what I love about, this is what I love about Christianity. There's a book written by a Christian author. It's called, ready? His Needs and Her Needs. That's like marriage for dummies. Just lays it out there. Just in case you didn't know, this is his needs. Just in case you didn't know, this is her needs, right? And this book is, is great, right? And, and I'm not saying that, that, that every one of the points would apply to every single person, but you can read that information. You go, yep, that's me, that's me, that's me. Not me so much, but that definitely is me, right? Do you know, do you know what makes your wife or husband feel valued? Do you know what their needs are? Have you ever stopped to consider what their greatest needs are? There's one thing that I do in marriage counseling and coaching, uh, uh, and I think it's, it's a powerful tool to consider under the right circumstances. There's got to be trust involved. But I, I say to married couples who are hurting, I say, listen, we're going to go do, do something Jesus did in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Jesus went church by church, and he said, hey, I love these things about you, but nevertheless, I have these things against you. And so we say, here are the things, let's list these out. Here's all the great things about how this relationship is valuable and how valuable you are. Let's list those things out. Nevertheless, this is what's not working. And I have each couple list out what's not working, right? I'm like, this is gold. They just told you how to fix the relationship. It's like three points. It's not impossible. This is it. Just do these four things, these three things, and there will be health in the relationship. It's like, aha. It's like what Jesus did for the church. Just do these two, three things different, and this will be in order, and I don't have to remove my candlestick, right? If you do these two, three, four things, the, the word divorce doesn't have to enter into your equation. Let's get busy doing these things, right? So that we don't look for our own interest only, but also to the interest of our spouse. <laughs> All right, very simply, let me just say this in conclusion. There's only a couple things guys need. Let me oversimplify and generalize just for a second. <laughs> guys need affirmation. They need respect. They need sex. They need food. (laughs) In your life, there may be one or two more out there, but that's basically it, all right? I'm just giving you, that's like the play-by-play. Oh, this is dangerous over here. (laughs) Oh, I could blow this. Women need 
intellectual connection through communication. They need, they need security from their relationship, faithfulness. They need to feel beautiful and valued. Okay, I'm going to stop there because I'm not sure if I can go any further. But that, that's, that's the start of it at least. If you will spend your life in your marriage relationship understanding what your spouse needs and meeting those needs, you will last till death. Paul, Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this. If he could just sum it up, he would say this. Your attitude should be the same as Christ. This is what he says. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. But he humbled himself. He took on the form of a, of a servant. He made himself nothing. Right? And he became obedient. Obedient even to death on the cross. You need to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.